Yeah, cool. Okay, well, we're going to get into our last week of um, our, our series, Freedom in Obedience. Um, it's it's been, a, been a long one, but I, I hope you've been enjoying it. You hope you've been, you know, taking each week as it comes and um, and, and really taking it to heart, what, what we're trying to, you know, what, what Jesus, through his, his ministry, was trying to um, portray that, that through living for him and following him and, and, uh, and, and the commands that he has, especially through um, Sermon on the Mount, that this is actually going to enact freedom in your life. Um, it's going gonna, it's gonna to give you life. It's going to give you purpose. It's going to give you peace in life. Um, and that's what we've been, you know, thinking about. And, and as I was thinking about that um, this week, I, um, I thought about my upbringing. Um, I, was, I was brought up in a Christian home and, uh, yeah, pastor uh, for a dad and whatnot. And so sometimes it was hard to distinguish what came from the Bible and, and what came from my parents. Um, largely they were the same and that was a good thing. Um, but, you know, as a child, you don't understand the plans that your parents have for you, the, the purpose that they might have for you, the, the things that they say you can and can't do, like um, staying up too late because you've got school in the morning, like saying you have to go to bed before nine or, you know, uh, choosing, uh, saying that you shouldn't hang out with your friends when you have an assignment due. Um, for me, I... I couldn't understand that. I thought they were just being a killjoy, and, and then I got 72 in my HSC, and I'm like, oh, that's why. Um, stuff like that. Why, why you should prioritize going to church rather than hanging out with your mates. These things I didn't quite understand, and, and now looking back on it, hindsight is one of those beautiful th- things, especially as you know, I move into that next stage of life where kids might be around in the next couple of years. Who knows? Uh, not an announcement. Chill. It's all good. Um, that, you know... As you grow up, you're going to be like, well, dang, I'm going to be responsible for someone else uh, and bringing them into the world and raising them up in the Christian faith as well. Um, it's, it's those times we go, oh, wow, okay. I think my parents only ever had the best interest for me and they wanted to give me that life of, of, of purpose and, and peace and, and just a good life. And so I started thinking about that and then related that to, yeah, the way that God has plans and purposes for us, his children. And sometimes we don't quite understand in that moment how that practically plays out. And, and it's the same, like it's, it's especially as we're looking at the things that we've been looking at in the last couple of, uh, couple of months. Um, and the one that we're going through today, loving your enemies. How does that practically play out to, to uh, that, that if, if, you, if we love our enemies, that this is going to create purpose in your life, it's going to create uh, peace in your life, it's going to create... Um, good things in your life. It's going to create life in your life, not death. Um, and so as I was reading through um, the Sermon on the Mount, right at the end, the last thing that Jesus says um, is, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. And that kind of struck me because I never really knew the context of that. Like, like I had learnt that growing up. Um, it was quite often a, a kid's church song. Um, but I never quite got the context. But the context comes at the conclusion of his Sermon on the Mount. And so he's saying all of these things that we have been talking about the, these last eight weeks, and we've tackled marriage, we've, we've tackled um, adultery, we've um, tackled judging others, 
um, all those things, including loving your enemies, Jesus is saying that it's going to be, when you put these things into practice, it's going to be like a wise man building his house on the rock. It's going to create like some sort of perseverance and strength in your life that when the world comes with all its stresses and pain and and, and people who hate you, that you're going to be able to stand the test of time because you know you've built your house on Jesus. That's pretty incredible when you think about it. And, and there's, there's a, an element of trust. And so when you read all the way through what we've been reading and then you hit there, you're like, okay, well, that means everything that I've just read, God actually has a plan in that and it's going to be good for you. But you've got to trust God in that. Um, and so I'm here to um, kind of uh, just explain what I've, I've learned this week or this last month as I've been preparing for this sermon about how loving your enemies no matter how strange and wacky that sounds to us, is actually a great thing and it's, it's something that God has purposed in us as his children. And so Matthew 5, 38 to 48, if you have your Bibles with you, it'll also be on the screens. I'm going to read the, the chunk of 10 verses and then, then I'm going to break it down. Um, and it, it gets really interesting. It's, it's, um, it blew my mind once I, once I did the work and so... Thankfully, you don't have to do as much of the work and I can just um, help you explain this. Sorry, understand this. So, Matthew 5, 38, it says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good Oh, sorry, he, he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. a really tough section of scripture to take at his word and go okay yeah I'm going to do that the first thing you will kind of see um, is that Jesus says you have heard it said he doesn't say you have read it or, or it is known as he has said in other parts of scripture but he says you have heard it said he says this six times in a row in this, se- in this section um, and it's important to state that you know there's a reason for that um, Jesus' heart was always to bring his people, the people that he was talking to, Israel, back to God's heart, back to God's nature. And that was the purpose of the law. It was to reveal God's heart. And, and you know, what started out simply as love God with all your heart and love others became 613 laws, and some of the laws are, are pretty wacky. You know, perhaps... They encountered new problems that they didn't think that they would experience. And so they're like, okay, we need a law for that. 
okay, I didn't think I needed to say that, but we need a law for that. That's how I feel when I look at it. And it's like, it's like when you go to a pool and it says, please do not pee in the pool. Why is it there? Because enough people peed in the pool that it became a problem. A safety hazard, a health hazard. And so they had to write, do not pee in the pool. And so I kind of think of that as, as, as the laws, that, that they, they, they got so big and so large and, 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 and 600 laws later that they've really and just diverged from the very heart of what God was trying to set up. And so when Jesus says, you have heard, it means that what has happened through history and context and culture is that these uh, laws, like love your neighbour, have been misinterpreted and, and twisted and and uh, and practiced um, and totally just diverged from what God initially intended. So when it says you have heard uh, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, you'll definitely see love your neighbor, but you'll find it hard to see hate your enemy in those words in the law. And it's because what has happened um, when you think about Israel and you think about the people that Jesus is talking to in the context, they've had a rough, rough history. They've had a history of being enslaved and then being freed from slavery and then being given the promised land and then stuffing up and um, being taken off to Babylon and being overtaken by um, other rulers. And then uh, the latest was where Jesus is talking to them is their, their, um, Rome is their governing authority. And even within the Israelites' context or culture, you've got people that are more or less working against you. You've got the zealots who are forming a political uprising and are violent towards their own people. Uh, you've got yeah, Roman guards that are treating you harshly. Uh, you've got Pharisees who are taking advantage of the poor and downtrodden. So the question kind of hot on the lips of people, and it's expressed in another, another part of the gospel, is, well, who is my neighbor? Who is worthy of my love? And so asking that question, who is my neighbor, is also asking who is not my neighbor. And so you can very easily see how something that started as love your neighbor quickly came to love your neighbor and hate your enemy because these people are against God. And so if that makes sense, that context, that there is, there's not, nothing in Scripture that says hate your enemy, but you can see where it got there. And so that's why Jesus says, you have heard it said, as if it's like hearsay, as if it's become common law, but it's not actually what God intended for his people. His people were always to be a light onto the world. And so Jesus wants to address this. And so verse 43, it says, You have heard it said, love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may become children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. When I read verses 44 and 45 um, the first time, I was confused. Then I read it the second time and I was confused and I kept reading it and, and I kept getting confused because it doesn't really seem like a profound reason to love your enemies. Like, let's see what he's saying. He's saying, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may become children of your Father in heaven. And that confused me. I said, what, what does that mean? 
And then Jesus starts talking about the weather. He causes his son to rise on the evil and then he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so I was completely confused and, and so thank goodness that there are commentaries in the world and people that are smarter than me. And so I read commentaries and, and through reading these commentaries, I, I came to understand exactly what Jesus was saying um, and it became quite profound. But what I needed to do is actually do it backwards. So I have to go from the bottom and take it up to the top and, and, and then it will start to make more sense. So I'm going to share that with you. So if you go to verse 45, like B, it says he causes the sun to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so what does this mean? Um, one of my commentaries said that Jesus had what was called a God-saturated worldview. Everything that he saw in the world, he saw it through God's eyes. He started to notice things in the world uh, and he was also informed by scripture. And so what did he notice in the world? He, he started to notice that whether you're a good person or a bad person, a righteous or an unrighteous, a downright evil person or the most righteous person in the world, whether you love God or you hate God, God doesn't actually show favoritism in regards to the things that are necessary for life. So when you think about biblical times, lots of farmers and whatnot, they needed sun and they needed rain to, to produce crops. And, and you can't really look at someone's crop and it's, it's thriving and it's doing really well and then a, another person's crop next door and it's not doing well and go, oh, God must love that guy and he must hate that guy. Like it just doesn't work like that. That's not the way the world works. Um, there's a whole book of the Bible called Job that... Um, really tells you that it doesn't matter how good you are, sometimes stuff just happens um, and it's, it's how you choose to react in those circumstances that proves what you're made of. And so that's just bad theology to think that, you know, good people get good stuff and bad people get bad stuff. I think we all know that. And so this is what Jesus was trying to explain, that, that the sun rises on evil and good people and the rain comes down on the righteous and the unrighteous, meaning that God doesn't show favour to his creation. He loves all the people that he created and he wishes for all to be in a, a right relationship with him. And so it doesn't matter if, for God, it doesn't matter if you believe in God or not. From God's perspective, you're still my child and I still want to have a relationship with you. That becomes quite profound as we go to the next section. Oh, sorry. So Psalm 145 is kind of another example, um, perhaps, of, of the worldview that, that Jesus had, you know, being informed by Scripture, being, being versed in the words. There's this theme all the way throughout the Bible that God is gracious and compassionate, that he's slow to anger, he's rich in love, and he's compassionate and good to all that he has made. And this, this, this motif, this verse was actually repeated all the way through the Bible. It was this theme that God really wanted to teach and, and, and let his Israelites know that I, I do love you and I am compassionate and, and I only want the best for you. So this is kind of the thing that Jesus was keying into, that God doesn't show favoritism to his creation, that he loves all and he wants all to be in a relationship with him. And so as you get to the next part, when we, we kick it up to 45a, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. And so I think that this favoritism, this, this, this 
non-favoritism to all this creation. It makes a lot more sense now because it's impossible to identify with your Father in heaven if you don't see the world and his creation the same way that he does. And I started to think about my relationship with my parents, particularly my relationship with my dad. If I wanted to get to know him, if I wanted to share experiences with him, if I wanted to feel close to him, if I wanted to relate to him, if I wanted to understand his worldview on things, I would do things that he would do. I would hang out with him. He loves golf, for example. If I truly wanted to know just what gets him up every, every day to play golf, I would have to go play golf with him to see a glimpse into his worldview of just why golf is the best thing in the world. And so it's the same with our Heavenly Father. In order to see this worldview that God has for his creation, we too also must be able to see his creation, the people around us in the same worldview, unmerited, unfavoured, gracious, merciful. And when we do that, we begin to relate to our Father in heaven and identify with him and see his worldview and feel close to him because we're starting to see what he sees. So now, verses 44, it says, But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now it starts to make more sense. We are to love our enemies because God has enemies just like you, and yet he expresses the same grace and favor towards them. And as children of God, we are to do that too. But so often when we, when we think of loving our enemies, we think of it as this passive love. We think of this as um, don't get in their way, smile and wave, don't make things difficult for them. But is this love? <coughs> is it loving to just be passive in our workplace when, peop- when, the- when people are difficult to, to avoid them? Is that-, is that what God wants for us? Is that what Jesus is saying when it comes to loving our enemies? Now, um, you know, our English language has one word for love and it means multiple things. Um, we have the beauty of context and we can figure that, out that. But in the Greek language that the New Testament was in, they had a different word for different types of love. And so for, for, for us, I can say I love KFC. But it really just means I prefer KFC over Maccas. It doesn't mean I'm in love with it. Um, I can say that I love soccer. Um, Not enough to get up this morning, but I love soccer. I love playing it. I love the exercise. Um, But what I really mean is that I enjoy playing it. I enjoy the exercise from it. I can say that I love my cats and I love Nicole. And again, those loves are very different. But all these words I use, all these different scenarios I use, I use the same word, which is love. But in in the Greek, they have different words for different types of love. And so what is the love that Jesus is talking about when he's saying love your enemies? Is it philia love, which is a brotherly or a friendship love? Is it an eros love, which is a bit romantic, 
and, and, and sensual love? Um, I hope not. Um, is it storge love, which is a love for your family, like an instinctual love for your family? Or is it agape love, which is unconditional, perfect and limitless love? Which one do we think it is? It's agape love. In light of how we see God, in light of how we see if how God sees His creation, He it has to be agape love. This this love that is unfavored and unmerited and 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 for all. But the thing about agape love, which is different from the other loves, is it's the only love that is quite often not based on feelings. With philia love, it's friendship. With eros, it's, it's, it's a romantic love that you have with your spouse. Even love for your family is, is, is more or less instinctual, but agape love doesn't always have to come with a feeling. Sometimes in your family... Um, with your spouse or your or your sisters or your brothers or or your children they frustrate you so much that that the feeling of love is not always there but you know for the good of of the family for the good of 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 the community for the good of your relationship you've got to muster up to the strength to 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 actively show love you know, when children are constantly disobeying you as a parent, in that moment you're like, I don't really feel that love for you, but because I created you, <laughs> because I'm, 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 care, I'm caregiver over you, I'm going to muster up the strength to not lose my cool and love you actively anyway and provide for you anyway. It's a very different love. When you put this all together, loving your enemy is... And what Jesus is, is asking us as followers of Jesus is, is to put aside how you feel about someone, whether you like them or don't like them, and actively loving them because they are made in the image of God. You are actively looking at the person that hates you or you hate and going, no, you are a child of God and God sees you that way, so I need to muster up the strength and put aside how I feel about you and show love towards you. And it's tough. Of course it's tough. But you are actively participating in the way that God sees the person and you're choosing to represent God in that moment more than yourself. And when you do that, you will feel this closeness with God because he expresses the same agape love to you every day. Isn't that just amazing? Just a few couple of verses when we deconstruct it and to see how much meaning Jesus put in that. And so when you go up to 38 verses 42, it's talking about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn your other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you, take your shirt, hand it over your coat as well. And these, these are all contexts. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. If anyone asks something of you, do not turn away from them. anyone who wants to borrow from you. If you were to get slapped on the right cheek in a culture that were right-handed, 
what sort of slap would that be? It would be a backhand. Take a while to think about that, but if, if I was to slap Peter right now, but I wanted to slap him on the right, not the left, I could put him on the left. It would make a little bit more sense, but, and what a, what a backhand slaps really telling. It's so disrespectful. In, in their day, it was reserved for people inferior to you, to your slaves, to your children, um, to women. Men would slap women in that way, backhanding. What Jesus is getting at, that there, are, there will be people in your world that will disrespect you. And Jesus is saying, because I love you unconditionally, Turn that cheek and let him slap you again. Go out of your way to show just how much you are willing to treat them with dignity even though they have totally disrespected you. Wow, that's a tough call. But, but when you think about the gravity of the situation and just how much God loves us unconditionally and we let that be our worldview, hopefully over time we will start to see a change. So whatever situation you're in, you need to think it through for yourself. What would it mean to reflect God's love despite the pressure and the provoking, despite your own anger and your own frustration? And in this, I'm not advocating to be passive or be walked over by people that hate you, but just to see the world as your heavenly father sees the world, as Jesus saw the world when he walked this earth, to muster that strength and courage despite how you feel. And here's the thing that I want to close with. It's, it's this type of love that has changed the world. It has changed circumstances. It has created civil change in the world. It has created, I mean, if you just think about Jesus, that is the love that he expressed every day as they pinned him up on the cross. And now we are here 2,000 years later still professing his name as Lord and Saviour. It's only because of the agape, unconditional love that changed the world. When we think about people in history, like I think about Martin Luther King. There's this story of Martin Luther King where, where the Ku Klux Klan were, were constantly burning crosses in his front yard. And one day he decided to put on his best suit and go outside and take the cross out of the ground. I'm thinking it wasn't like flaming anymore. But then he began to pray for the people who did it. He started praying that God would bless them, praying that God would have favour on them, praying that God would change their hearts. He was a very big advocate for non-violence and loving your enemies. And I just want to read this, um, this quote of his that just kind of encompasses his, his worldview, so to speak. That was God's worldview. It says, The ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending, a descending spiral getting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Through violence you may murder the liar, but you cannot murder the lie, nor establish the truth. Through violence you murder the hater, but you do not murder hate. In fact, violence merely increases hate, returning violence for violence and multiplies violence. Adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. 
Only love can do that. This very much touches on what Jesus is talking about. That hate for your enemy is just senseless and it it gets nowhere. If I hate you and then you hate me and then I hit you and then you hit me and then you grab a knife and then I grab, like, you know, it just goes on and on and it's just creating more evil in the world. We as followers of Jesus, we as, as children of God, we as, as light in the darkness, which is what is said at the beginning of the Sermon of the Mount, we're supposed to be salt of the earth and light of this world. We can't repay violence with violence. We can't let this evil cycle continue. And take comfort in the fact that what Jesus is asking you to do is, is nothing that he didn't encounter. I don't know if that's helpful for you, but it's always helpful for me to realize that the, the, the person that I stake my life on and I choose to follow, he went through it as well. You know, when, they, when, they, when the Pharisees challenged him and tried to trap him for blasphemy and whatnot, he told them parables and stories to try to get them to think differently, to open their horizons. When they mocked him, when they arrested him, he didn't respond to them with anger. When they struck him, he didn't strike back. And when they put him on the cross and put the nails in his hands, what did he do? He prayed for them. We serve a God that has been through it all and because of his sacrifice changed the world, changed the very trajectory of all of us. And so as we close, it says in verse 48 of chapter 5, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This word perfect is not about being spotless or blameless or perfection, and if I stuff up, then, then start again. It's, it's about being whole, completeness. Agape love, this choice to rise above your circumstances, and love supernaturally, especially those who hate you, is bringing you closer to God. One of my commentaries said that in those moments when you're loving your enemies, and it sounds a little bit odd, but like you're no, like no closer to God, you're no much more like God in those moments. It's, it's not heresy. It's not to say that you are God in those moments, but you're, you're no more like him in those moments when you're expressing love to these people that hate you. You're doing the very thing that Jesus did every day. And you get this sense deep down that this is actually the reason why we were created. We were created on this earth to to go out into the world, partner with Jesus and love and express that unconditional grace towards people. God can use those moments. He can use you in those moments. He can use you in those workplaces where you're finding it hard to love people. If you start to adopt this worldview that every person that I encounter is made in the image of God and every little act of kindness and, 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 and love, even love that's, that's devoid of, of me feeling towards that person, but just a, just a flat-out action, God's going to hopefully start to break down the walls in that person's life so that Jesus can enter. That's what we're made for. When we do these things, you get this sense that this is the reason why 
we were made. And that's really exciting to really find that purpose in life and go, that's the thing that is going to drive me in life. It's, it's not so much the, um, the job, it's not so much the house or the career or the family, but it's in those and through those. It's, it's about getting in those places and seeing my fellow human as God sees them and extending that agape love towards them. It changed the world 2,000 years ago and it's continuing to change the world today. And so no better time than now to then to continue to partner with God. And so as we close today and as we're praying, think of that person that you're finding hard to love. Like this is, this is the moment. Like we, we can fall into the trap of hearing a, a cool sermon and then going on our merry way or we can choose to, to act on it and trust God in it and see what happens. It's going to be hard and you'll endure suffering. Like the people that, that took on this mantelpiece often did suffer. Martin Luther King suffered. But it's, it's that purpose that we were made for. So as we pray today... Think about that someone that's, that's in your life that you're finding hard to love and, and begin to pray over their lives, pray into that situation. Think of ways you might be able to bless them, especially over Christmas. It's a great time. Give them a gift, something small, something sm- some small gesture that might meet the world to them, might begin to break down those walls. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for... For your word, we thank you so much that um, that there's so much wisdom in it, and sometimes it's so hard to understand. But we just thank you, Lord, that you've revealed yourself through the scriptures, and you reveal yourself every day. I pray, Lord, that you continue to reveal yourself in our lives, in the mundane, as we're going through the motions. That we will begin to see the people around us, the people that we find hard to love, and we start to see what you see a child of God. I pray, Lord, that you give us the courage and the strength you, 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 to overcome fear, to overcome, you know, uh, ill thoughts towards this person and, and, and replace them with love. We know, Lord, that your love, your agape love, was the very thing that conquered the world and continues to change lives. And so we pray, Lord, that in our situations with the people that we're praying for now, that you will intervene and teach us how to love as you loved. In Jesus' name, amen.